too often. Okay, we're live. Okay. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates on tonight's show of a very special guest. She just published a book in July. The title of the nonfiction book is Though I Be Mute. Her name is Heather Miller. And uh, it's a story kind of about the conflicts between the early settlers in the 19th century and the Cherokee Nation. And she can talk more about that. So, Heather Miller, are you there? Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for agreeing to the interview. For people who oh, may not. Thanks have... for having me. Good. I'm honored. Good. Um, well... A little bit about me I am a high school English teacher. Um, this is not, writing a novel was never something I thought that I would do. Um, I went back to school in 2019, just needed to kind of fill my cup again and took a research fiction class. Um, and we went on field trips, which is silly, but we did. Uh, we went to the special collections um, rooms and- In, in the, what part of the country was this in? In Georgia, in Georgia. Georgia. And there was display after display of uh, native art, native artifacts. And um, we had just received the syllabus and had to have 80 pages of fiction created by the end of the semester. And I was like, what am I going to write about um, at a total loss here? Um, I'd never taken a class like this before. So one of my favorite books is um, Charles Frazier's Cold Mountain. I love Charles Frazier entirely. And he has a, there's a character in um, Cold Mountain. I call her the goat woman. Um, she is, that's an allegory. So it's a, um, you know, story inside of another. It's Odysseus's journey home. Right. And, uh, but Charles Fraser uses actually a family relative of his um, for fodder there, uh, Inman. And he comes across this woman in the woods and she is a southern literature archetype like a solitary sorceress that lives in the woods and and i loved her character it's just one scene with her um and i was like what can i can i kind of dependent authorship how can i use her how can i use what i love about her how can i use this archetype so i started asking myself questions why was this woman um, in the woods all alone. Why, why is she, ha, how does she have this medicinal knowledge, you know? And uh, so I started researching and then I found her family in that special collections library at the university. And I had far more than 80 pages by the end. Um, I have a background in theater too. So as far as sets and lights and costumes and how all of those things contribute to a story. I knew that that's where that was my home field, you know, um, right. but putting it on the page gave me a joy like any, like none other that I had experienced. It's like the love child of English and theater is writing a novel. <laughs> right. Cause you have all the characters, the drama, right. the conflict, things like that. Right. Um, and how, how light affects a scene um, where our focus is and dialogue and using dialogue to convey um, not just banter, but reveal character in as much as what characters don't say as much as what they do. Um, I often teach my um, AP students, Brim, I made this up, um, that behaviors reveal intentions and motivations because people lie and characters lie and uh, but what they do is often more revealing than what they say. So 
it's not just what's there, but what's not there also. Right. right. So, um, I'm a fireman's wife, uh, which is a whole culture in and of itself. Um, we have three children and two of which are in college and one is getting married two months. I can't believe it. And my youngest is 17. He is an avid trumpet player um, in marching band and drum corps. So he's never home. So I had all this time, uh, emptiness. So I said, mm -hmm. I'm going to write a novel. <laughs> right. So you really, this book, the gestation of this book started in 2019, right? Yes. Yes. And then, of course, 2020 happened and we were quarantined. And rather than make myself crazy, I wrote I wrote every day. I wrote all day long uh, when I wasn't teaching virtually and uh, became totally obsessed and researched and researched and, and more researched. Um, so it, it, research is an endless process here, especially when you're writing um, characters of color. And I, I wanted to honor this families because they're real people. I wanted to honor them. Um, and honor Cherokee culture and not um, even without intention. Right. So the characters against the Cherokee nation. I admire the Cherokee nation immensely. Right. And so the characters that you have in the book are all um, based on real persons. Yes. Real historical people. Yes. Major Ridge. Ridge. Right. Yes, the Ridge family. Major Ridge was um, a warrior, a voice for speaker for Cherokee Nation for a, a great many years and supported um, the rise in, of Principal Chief John Ross for a very long time. Um, his, but he did not speak English and didn't want to. Um, of course, John Ross spoke English and he was he was only. I believe in eighth Cherokee, but had, was Cherokee at heart raised that way. And then when Major Ridge had a son, he sent this son to learn English um, to Northern schools because he wanted someone, uh, Major Ridge wanted someone to negotiate with the government who, who could re reveal nuances of speech. Um, and John Ridge, even though he wasn't a very physically strong person, he had hip scrofula. Um, he had tuberculosis when he was young. Um, so he was a warrior of words, not a warrior in the traditional sense. Right. And he married Sarah Bird Northrop. Um, he got very sick in Connecticut. All this is true. Very sick in Connecticut and fell in love with this, the school steward's daughter who was very Caucasian um, and marriage, interracial marriages happened the other way around um, in this time period quite frequently um, with white men and native women, but not the inverse of that. Um, John and Sarah were one of the first. Gotcha. And um, the town went crazy, of course. Um, unfortunately, there were editorials published about them and um, the American Eagle newspaper out of Connecticut. Um, right, so about them. Uh, right. right. And I tried to use those primary source documents as often as I could. They are in the book word for word. 
Gotcha. And you, so you're located in Georgia and that was kind of one of the central areas, at least in currently kind of Northwestern Georgia is where the Cherokee resided, yes. correct? Yes. Um, our family home is on what I call Creek land, um, right South of the Cherokee line. Um, so about 30 minutes North of me is was Cherokee land at the time. Major Ridge's home is now the Chieftain's Museum in Rome, Georgia. So it was wonderful to field trip to the actual location where they lived. And of course it looks different and it's been renovated multiple times, but to sit on that ground um, was really inspirational. And I have tried to visit every Cherokee site, every, um, you know, judging distances, of course, you know, 30 minutes by car, what would that have been by horse? Um, you know, right. try to, to is immerse myself in the landscape and unwind time as much as I could to really to create an active setting, a setting that's a character as much as um, the people in the story. Right. So you have kind of this uh, love story between two people, but there was a lot of conflict taking place between the American government and the Cherokee Nation at that time, correct? Well, it was the beginnings of such. Um, the the Creek lost their land first through an illicit treaty by Chief William McIntosh. He was half Scottish and half Creek, fought um, at the Battle of Horseshoe Bend under General Jackson in the Red Sticks War. Um, he, I think that he was a man who, it depends on how you look at him. He either had great foresight or he did his people a terrible wrong. Um, but he signed a treaty at Indian Springs at a tavern that he had there against warnings of um, their prime, the Creek prime minister, Apotheoholo. And I hope I'm saying his name correctly. I greatly admire this man. He stood on a, on a river rock outside of McIntosh's window and screamed, don't do it. Don't sign this. But of course, McIntosh did it anyway. And um, his people took his life for signing that treaty without consent of all of the chiefs. So at that point, the geographic noose tightens on Cherokee Nation um, with the Creek land gone. Mute, um, this book takes us up to 1827, right before the Cherokee wrote and instituted their own constitution, uh, written for the most part by John Ross, who was principal chief and elected that same year. Um, and that constitution follows a exactly um almost to our constitution interesting four-year terms three branches of government um they modeled it after such signed it on january or i'm sorry july 3rd july 4th had a constitutional convention so the progression of cherokee nation or some would say it wasn't progression but integration into american culture um was vast it was vivid and then John Ridge, my my main character's first cousin, was Elias Boudinot, um, who was the editor of the Cherokee Phoenix newspaper at the time, printed in both English and Cherokee syllabary. Fascinating. Right, so, yeah, so they were developing their own language at that time as well, right? Um, the, Sequoia created the syllabary, so they could, um, 86 different sounds in the Cherokee language. So they commissioned special pieces of font for the printing press so they could print in both Cherokee syllabary 
and in English. Um, it's the only paper of its kind. Had subscriptions in Europe and in the Northeast. Um, it was amazing until, <laughs> um, and this is not in mute, but this is in my work in progress. The YB Mute will have two subsequent books. Oh, interesting. The second one will go from 1827 to 1835 with the Treaty of New Echota, uh, which was the treaty that signed Cherokee away, land away to the government. So it was the Creek first and then the Cherokee, kind of the same thing. Right, right. Um, even they tried everything they could think of, but then the unity that Cherokee Nation had split with the Treaty Party and the Nationalist Party and... Um, it fell from there. It didn't fall, but it, it had to move west. And um, um, some of the same things that McIntosh did ended up happening in Cherokee Nation. And wasn't Andrew Jackson kind of a uh, central character in those events? He will be. Uh, yes, he's going to be a central character in the second book. Right now, the title of that is Yellow Bird Song. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if that will stay, but that is the working title right now. And yes, Andrew Jackson is most pivotally a character. My husband and I just followed the trail. We did a major road trip. We followed the Trail of Tears, stopping along the way. Our first stop was in um, at the Hermitage at Andrew Jackson's house. Right. I just read Stephen and Keep's Jackson Land and really wanted to see it. We took the house tour and there was not one mention by the guide of Indian removal. It broke wow. my heart. Wow. I, I was like, really? We're just going to ignore that? <laughs> right. That's a huge it's, story, too. Right. Right. We're just going to. And there was there was a few displays within the museum itself that's on site, but nothing in the house tour itself. And maybe that's not what its intention was, but I was a but, little disappointed. In but that. that was also kind of one of uh, Jackson's kind of central things is that he was an right. Indian fighter, was, right? Yeah. Yes, as soon as he was elected, it was one of his pivotal pieces of legislation um, that he wanted to promote, the Indian removal. I'm going to talk a great deal about that in the next book. Um, and th this is very strange, and I've talked to some Ridge family descendants about this, but one of John Ridge and Sarah Ridge's children, they named, one of their sons, they named Andrew Jackson Ridge. Oh, wow. And I was like, why? Why would they do that? And she was like, that's the that's the hundred million dollar question. Why would they do that? So there's got to be. I know there was a closed door meeting between John Ridge and President Andrew Jackson. What was said there? I I don't know, but um, something had to shift at that point. And John Ridge knew that the Cherokee were getting the best offer that they were going to get. But his decision to create, promote the treaty party to try to convince Cherokee that this was the safest venue for them divided the nation in a heartbreaking way. Right. And it's it's this story that you have in The I Be Mute also involves kind of Sarah leaving her culture in Connecticut and kind of adapting or adopting Cherokee ways. Is that correct? Absolutely. I, I found that fascinating. Um, what And she, of course, didn't speak the language, know the customs. She'd only lived in Connecticut. She was only, she was very young. She wasn't 20 yet. Um, to go with him and leave everything that she knew into a culture like this, how would she have adapted and um, 
how would she have learned the language, which Cherokee is not a simple language to master um, from my limited experience. Uh, lots of different verb tenses. And I just imagine it being incredibly challenging for her. Um, testing her faith, and she was Episcopalian against um, the Cherokee spiritual beliefs and then the beliefs of the missionaries around them. And I have her in the book try to reconcile the two, which she does. The Cherokee had a, um, probably still do, to my knowledge, um, they go to water, um, bathing several times a day. And isn't that like baptism in some way or another? So I, I tried my best to get inside her head. How would she reconcile those two very different religious and cultural beliefs into something that she could make sense of? And that will continue in this in the next the series, the next right? Book. But you also include kind of uh, this John Ridge is kind of uh, part of the Legislative Council, counterpoised against the U.S. government's Indian agents. Correct? Can you talk about that? Absolutely. Um, like I said, he fights for a very long time, and and he fights with the law um, because he's not he's a warrior of words. He's not physically demanding. Um, Eventually, and it's not in mute, but it will be in the next book. One of the Georgia, after the Constitution, Georgia retaliates. They um, make crazy laws that Cherokee can no longer meet in council uh, within the boundary lines of the state of Georgia. Um, the Cher no Cherokee can testify against a white man. So they retaliate against the Cherokee Constitution. And because one of their missionaries, Samuel Worcester, would not sign um, kind of allegiance to Georgia, they arrest him. And he has a wife and family in New Echota, which was the Cherokee capital at the time, working with Elias Boudinot. They arrest him. They haul him off in chains, nonetheless. Um, so John Ridge fights through the court systems. And this court case eventually gets to the Supreme Court. And they, the Supreme Court sides with Cherokee Nation. They are an independent sovereign within the state of Georgia and Georgia cannot make laws. Well, Andrew Jackson says, well, you tell them to enforce it and doesn't enforce it. So he sends no federal troops. So Georgia just continues. So what was a momentary success spins out of control after that. And that, that is not in mute, but that is, will be in the second book. Um, then John principal chief, John Ross, he doesn't like the fact that there are people opposing him and he shuts down the press. I mean, if that's not relevant to today, I don't know what is. Right, Elias, yeah. Elias Boudinot said, I won't be silenced. Here, take it. It's yours. I'm, I'm not, if you don't let me print what I need to print, if you won't let me refute um, and have an open debate and open conversation about this, then you'll have to find somebody else to run the paper, um, which he did. He backed down on, well, I wouldn't say back down, but he is a man of, of virtue and wasn't going to be silenced. Um, so he he left and they continued to work politically. John Ross, with all the tumult in the world, continued to be principal chief long after his four-year term. I mean, I, I couldn't say for sure this would be hypothetical, but I can't imagine that he wasn't very, very concerned about John Ridge running for principal chief. And, and he didn't want to relinquish that control. He was the 
principal chief for 38 years. And that's tyrannical, right? That's not, that's not um, following a four-year term of office in a re-election. Right. And uh, what was it like kind of, you have a lot of, of Cherokee words and statements and phrases and what was it like kind of uh, uncovering all that information? Very fun. Um, difficult for the audiobook reader. <laughs> um, I gave her as many Cherokee words of the day um, on YouTube that I could could muster. Um, even wrote Cherokee Nation for a translation of John Ridge's Cherokee name, which is, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, Skotolowski. And I know it's some kind of bird, um, but I don't know a direct translation and neither did they. So I wanted to infiltrate that as much as possible. And I made that decision. I worried about it because um, with dialect and language is never evolving thing. And it's difficult um, to, to pronounce. It's difficult to find a, an accurate translation of such. You could use phonetics, but I didn't want to put in the syllabary because readers may not know. And then I went to a, um, and I got some pushback on that um, from some of my university professors. I'm getting another master's degree in creative writing. Oh, congratulations. Um, <laughs> we're, we're coming towards the end of that. Um, anyway, I went to, uh, at the Chieftains Museum in Rome, they had an anniversary celebration and Charles Frazier was there and I could not pass up that opportunity, as well as a performance by a Cherokee treasure, uh, Tommy Wildcat, who's a flute player. And Charles Frazier talked a great deal about his book, 13 Moons, and how he used some of the language and how um, Cherokee Nation took his Trail of Tears chapter and translated it into Cherokee syllabary to use at various universities that have a Cherokee language program. Tommy Wildcat, the, the flute player, talked about how important it was to maintain the language, to use the language, to expose people to the language. And after that evening, I decided I was going to keep it. Interesting. Um, and uh, do you, I mean, uh, there's this time in your book, it's the mid 19th, early to mid 19th century. Mm -hmm. Is there still a Cherokee presence there in Northwestern Georgia or after the Trail of Tears? I don't know what happened in that environment. Um, there's, there is history here. Mm -hmm. um, artifacts, their, their land, of course rebuilt things except uh, there's there is one house um the van house that's on the federal road that survived the civil war and such um there i hate to speak for cherokee nation i am not cherokee my husband has a descendant um not just blood quantum but we've tracked it through an immigration role in the carolinas um last name was walking stick so my i, I I'm connected by marriage, but the fascination with this story, the obsession with this, these people's genocide that they experienced at the hands of the American government became something that I think is missing in our American story. It's forgotten and it shouldn't be. Forgotten, yeah, that's really what it is. It's forgotten and, it, it, and that bothers me. <laughs> um, and I, I want my students, I want anybody just to know what these people suffered and endured and managed to thrive. Like I said, my husband and I did go out to um, Oklahoma this summer. It was a fun trip. Um, 
we got out there and we were in the Ozark Mountains. I'm like, this looks like home. You know, this looks like minus the pine trees. This looks like North Georgia until I imagine um, those new settlers out there put a shovel in the ground and found rock, found lots and lots of rock. I can only imagine when you're growing your livelihood, how difficult that was. Whereas Georgia has vast farmland, fertile soil. So. Right. And the Cherokee had been there for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, right? Thousands of years. Right. The land of their ancestors, of course. But John Ridge held Cherokee sovereignty, Cherokee's right to um, be a, a community. He held that higher than the land upon which they stood and there's and Cherokee safety, which they were not safe in Georgia any longer. Georgia had already sold or used a land grab lottery to give away much of the territory before the Cherokee were taken into stockades. And, um, right. So I think it was part. it was the Cherokee, but they there was other Indian tribes that were removed from that area. Absolutely. All. All of them, All yeah. so, the Cherokee like, believe in a community like I wish was more mainstream America. Um, I think there are great communities, large communities in America, but they're politically divided. The Cherokee believe in, in community and caring for others. If And that has sustained. And we got a sense of that when we were out there. Um, their social media posts from Cherokee Nation. They're about community. They're about helping one another. They're um, that everybody is part of a greater ecological system and everybody has their role and everybody has their place. Um, I think that was once more of American culture than it, than it is now. Yeah, I would agree with that. When you were, you were looking into kind of their pathways, did you ever come across their mythology or kind of their cultural outlook from that time in the 19th century? I did. Fascinated by um, some of the origin myths that I read, um, not just origins of natural phenomena, but the, the thematic life lessons that they would pass down to to their children before the syllabary and, and such. Um, and I tried to integrate those into the novel as much as I could, finding researching and looking for multiple sources, um, not just taking one off the internet, but looking for consistency in the narrative and how I could work that in. There are several in there. The first fire, daughter of the sun, um, the Cherokee's version of heaven, the nightland. Um, it, it bookmarks, well, it frames this narrative. The story is told from their daughter's perspective. And all I could find out about her was that she was, quote unquote, feeble minded. Of course, what that means in the 18th century, very different from what that means now, which no one would say, I hope. Um, So she she has a a disability or a special ability. Let me put it that way. And it um, has to do with um, (laughs) the theme of the overall book that sometimes we are mute to those we need to hear us the most. John is mute to those politicians. He needs to change their mind. Sarah's mute to her newfound family because she doesn't speak Cherokee. And then their daughter is um, the woman in the woods. 
Right. Well, that's Where a great again, in the special collections lab um, lab at the university. Right, and that's a kind of a great way to wrap it up. Is there anything you'd like to add before we finish the interview? Where's the best place to buy the book, and where can people reach out to you on social media or email? Um, my website is heathermillerauthor.com, and I am on Facebook and Twitter. Um, would love it if somebody reached out to talk to me, um, and all my links are there on the website. Um, so it's heathermillerauthor, all one word, dot com. com. Yes, gotcha. sir. And where's the best place to buy the book? It's available on Amazon and in Kindle form and, um, of course, in paperback and then Barnes and Noble in paperback. And so you're are you going to put out an audio book as well? Yes. Yes, it's coming. Um, the, the company that produces them is a bit behind with COVID. And um, so it's coming. And uh, I, I love the fact that uh, it was narrated by a fellow English teacher. So this is like. English teachers unite. All right, nice. Coming <laughs> together, coming together under yes. the COVID uh, pandemic. Right. Kept us sane. Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, you yeah. spend your time productively. That's uh, right. Had, had to do something that um, kept me engaged and yeah. kept our time. Keep I'm sure off. lots of writers out there did that. You know, we were all <laughs> yeah. going to finish my book finally, right? Yeah, that'll be a chapter in everybody's life is what they did in the pandemic. What kind of right. they put out, book, family, child, right. who knows. Right. So again, the author's name is Heather Miller. The title of the book is Though I Be Mute, and it can be found on Amazon. And her website is heathermillerauthor.com, all one word. Thank you so much, Heather. Thank you for having me. All right, great. All right, so that's that piece is done. So that video will go out to YouTube and then I will